So where there are people, there is conflict. As people disagree with one another, uh, people make mistakes, people do you wrong, they sin against you. And so what do we do? What do we do when someone does us dirty? That's sort of how they say it nowadays. Someone did you dirty, someone did you wrong. Well, uh, Jesus gives us, he gives us guidance in this scripture. And remember the context is that uh, we're in Matthew chapter 18, we're going through the book of Matthew, and we're in this part where really what's emphasized is who Jesus is. He is the Christ. He's bringing his kingdom, and you need to be ready for his kingdom. So the beginning of chapter 18 talked about uh, how uh, sin is doing those things against God's will, and because God's kingdom is coming and is going to be established, do whatever it takes to, to get out of sin and to get right with God, and uh, woe to those who cause others to sin. That's beginning of chapter 18, kind of when we, you know, um, you know, sin against God, so what do we do about that, all that? But today, this particular reading, the subject is still sin, but now Jesus moves on to, well, how do you deal with it when someone sins against you? So the first part was kind of, what do we do about sinning against God? But now it's, what, how do you deal with it? How do you deal with it when someone sins against you? Someone does you wrong. Biblically, what are we supposed to do? We have a couple options, but they all have to do with forgiveness. That's the whole, if you notice, that's really the overarching theme of this section is forgiveness. But how do we move towards that place? There's a couple options. The first is we forgive and we move on. Uh, Jesus' parable emphasizes forgiveness, uh, but there's another scripture I think that gives us guidance, and that's 1 Peter 4.8. I think it states it quite succinctly. 1 Peter 4.8 will be on the screens. It says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly because love covers a multitude of sins. Right? You don't have to uh, bring the, the sin up again. You don't have to work through it. You just forgive that person. Right? Maybe a spouse doesn't do what they said, and you just let it go. All right? Again, like, what was that? Frozen, let it go. Right? You don't even have to sing that song, let it go. You just, just let it go. Um, you don't hold it over them. Okay? You release them from what they owe you. Your love covers that debt. Love covers a multitude of sin. Your love covers the debt, covers what they owe. So maybe we better talk about the definition of forgiveness because biblically, um, you know, that's important. If we're being called to forgive, well, what exactly does that mean? I think a biblical definition of forgiveness is giving up any claim to be compensated for the hurt or the loss that we have suffered. So in other words, we choose to release someone from what they owe us. Okay? And you might think, well, you know, is that just when people steal from you? No, it actually applies to anything. So think about it. Someone lies to you. They owed you the truth. What is right? It's telling the truth. But they didn't give that to you. They lied. They owed you the truth. Or maybe someone said they were going to do something. You let your yes be yes. They promised you to do something, and they didn't do that. They owed that to you, but they didn't give that. Or just... Um, 
someone was not kind to you. They owed you kindness because we're supposed to love people. They owed that to you and they did not give that to you. Justice would mean, well, they give what they took from you or they're punished for it to make amends. They hurt you, you hurt them. Right? Justice, fairness would crawl out for that. But when we forgive, we choose to, again, let that go. You, you were supposed to tell me the truth and you lied, and, but I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to let go that debt that you owed me. And this is why thinking of forgiveness like this, that it's a choice where you release someone from what they owed you, it is a lot like forgiving debts. That's why in the Bible, when it talks about forgiveness, like today in that parable, it often talks about forgiveness in the context of forgiving debts. Um, in that parable that Ian read, uh, the master was owed a tremendous sum of money, but he chose to waive the debt. He chose to forgive the debt. So forgiveness is first a choice to release someone what they, from what they owed you. Now, feelings, some people say, well, uh, you know, I, I have. I've released that person from, I've chosen to forgive them, but I'm still angry or whatever. Well, uh, forgiveness and feelings are, are, are different things. Feelings can often be a gauge of, okay, I'm pulling back up my forgiveness. I'm starting to struggle with that. But... It's not what forgiveness is about. Forgiveness is a choice. Sometimes the feelings come later. Sometimes you choose to forgive, but you can still be mad, but your feelings take a while to catch up with the choice that you made to release that person from the debt. So feelings and forgiveness are different things, even though they're related. But that's one choice. When someone does you wrong, love covers a multitude of sins, you just forgive and move on. But sometimes... You are struggling with your feelings. Sometimes that relationship that you have, there is the bond of peace is not there because maybe that person is, keeps doing the same thing over and over again, or maybe they sinned against you in a way where you can't walk in agreement with them. There's not a reconciliation there. There's, there's tension. There's, there's something where you can't walk, again, in, in agreement and reconciliation with this person. Well, then you can't just let it go. You're having trouble letting it go. Or you know this isn't healthy for our relationship or it isn't healthy for this person because they're actually, uh, as they sin, they're in spiritual danger. And because I care about them, I'm going to point this out. Because I care about our relationship, we're going to work through this. And that's where this next part comes in in Matthew 18, where Jesus lays out the process where there's confrontation, where there's, you, you go to the person and you talk about, hey, you sinned against me, and then there's forgiveness and re reconciliation. And this is all uh, in the context of the church body. But here's the process, Matthew 18, 15 through 17. I mentioned this last week, but I want to read that again. It says, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. Did you notice that? In private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two uh, more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen to even the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and tax collector. 
So this is Jesus' guidance for reconciliation, for loving confrontation when someone does you wrong. You point out the sin in order that that person might see and repent. And now, when I say repent, what I mean by that is agree and turn from it. Say, oh, yes, I agree. That was wrong. I did. Um, that wasn't fair to you. That wasn't just. I told you, you know, I agree. And now I'm turning uh, towards you so that our relationship can be restored. That's the process. But notice, first, you go privately. And if that person agrees and turns, then the matter's done. It doesn't go any further, which, guess what, assumes forgiveness, right? It says you've won your brother. If you go and you, you talk to your brother and they say, yes, you know, I'm wrong, I am sorry, and, you know, I, I, um, I did you wrong, and so now, now I want to make that right, let's walk in agreement, you've won your brother. That means you forgive them. It assumes forgiveness, and that forgiveness leads to reconciliation and agreement and peace. But sometimes interpersonal dynamics are such that, well, the person doesn't repent. They don't agree. There, there's still tension there. The bond of peace hasn't been restored. The relationship hasn't been restored. Then what do you do? It says, well, then you ask one or two other people to get involved, and you do that for two reasons. One is to check yourself, to confirm, you know, this person isn't, isn't repenting, and, and is this even a sin, or is this just a disagreement? And then to mediate so that they can help understand, yeah, this is wrong or this isn't. But notice, we try to keep the circle of conflict as small as possible for as long as possible. That one or two person helps towards, uh, one or two people help towards reconciliation. And so when a church follows this scripture, Jesus' instructions correctly, then the majority of conflicts that happen in a church you should never hear about. I mean, unless you're directly involved, why would you hear about it? No, it's only when a person refuses to repent after many attempts at restoration that the matter is brought before others. And, and the goal, and, and then before the church, and that person, if they're not walking with God, then they're removed from membership. But even that, it's not punitive. It's meant to get that person to see all oh, this... This, I'm not walking with God. This behavior is wrong. And as soon as they repent, even if it's a year later... Restoration. In fact, that happens in 1 Corinthians. If you read through 1 and 2 Corinthians, it seems like this person was involved in a heinous sin, but then in a year or so, they, they turned and they were restored to fellowship because that's the goal. The goal is not punishment, right? The goal is reconciliation between people and God. But in all conflict whether it's someone sins against you or any other kind of conflict, conflict, we go to that person directly, directly. Now, we often don't do this. As I mentioned last week, we often talk about people instead of to people. And why is that? Well, unfortunately, it's usually because we would rather be right than reconciled. Now, we don't love people. So that instead of really seeking reconciliation where we're in agreement and, you know, because and now we love one another and, and we're walking in agreement again. No, we'd rather be right. So we'll settle for getting some people to agree with us. 
instead of going to that person directly, we'll go and get other people to agree, oh yeah, that person was wrong, but we'll never go to them directly. And so there'll never be reconciliation and true forgiveness and true harmony and peace. Now, tragically, Jesus' words here are the opposite of standard church practice, standard Christian practice. So much so, for my many years of ministry, I've seen it so many times, that when you follow this scripture, people actually get offended. Isn't that crazy? That following the Bible actually makes people mad. I'm talking about Christians. No, go to that person directly if, they, if they've, they've done something against you. Don't talk about it with other people. Talk to that person. And this, can, this is true for any conflict. Anytime there's disagreement or conflict, people often will make, oh, this, these people are for this and these people are against it. So instead of trying to reconcile, oh, we'll talk with our camp because they sympathize with us and they'll tell us we're right. That's so divisive. That's not loving. And it's corrosive to healthy relationships. It's corrosive to healthy church. Because what happens? There's no trust. It's, there's no trust that you want what's best for me. You want what's best for the church. And so we'll work this out. There's rather you just want to be right. You just want to be esteemed. Go to the person directly. So what do we do? Let's, let's do some role playing here. Because it's so important, but it's so rare, right? Talk to the person directly, all right? Re repeat after me, talk to the person directly. Again, talk to the person directly. All right, so now you know your lines. Let's role play. <laughs> Someone comes to you, says, you know, I can't believe Reginald. So I picked Reginald because I don't think there's anyone in our church named Reginald. But if you're watching and you're named Reginald, I'm sorry. I didn't mean this. Um, I can't believe Reginald. We were in a meeting and I had some ideas and he just kept talking over me and belittling me. Can you, what a jerk Reginald is. Good, yes, exactly. Talk to that person directly. I know a lot of times we want to be empathetic and, and listen, but, and you can listen, but then say, you know what, this doesn't, I shouldn't be involved in this, I don't want to be a part of, of gossip, but you know the best thing to do, the biblical thing to do, is go to Reginald directly. If you have an issue with Reginald, talk to Reginald. Don't talk to me. And again, it's not because you're not caring, it's because you do care. You care for them, you care for Reginald, you're seeking reconciliation. Now, sometimes somebody will come to you as a confidant because they're trying to check themselves. You know, should I talk to Reginald? But if you can say, listen, you know, uh, you really need to talk to Reginald. Um, but if this is going to go any further than me, and, and then you can give a little bit of advice if that's what they're truly looking for. But we, can know, we know the difference, right? We feel the difference when someone's coming because they just want you on their side as opposed to like, I'm struggling because I, I really want to reconcile with this person, but I don't know how to go about it. You feel the difference. You know the difference. So how, when someone sins against us, what do we do? We, we talk directly to them. We forgive and we reconcile. Now, that prompts Peter. So this, you know, Jesus tells us the process and that prompts 
Peter to ask a very reasonable question, a follow-up question. All right, how many times do I do this? <laughs> how many times do I keep forgiving a person, especially if they keep sinning the same thing? How many times do we go through this process of restoration and reconciliation? Well, Matthew uh, 21, right, it, P, P, uh, Peter says, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And then Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now, is it 77 or seven times 70? So it depends on how you translate the Greek number. It can mean 77. Sometimes it can mean seven times 70. But if you're hung up on the number, you're hung up on the wrong thing. Because what Jesus' point is, you don't count. You know, Peter's saying, oh, seven times. That's a lot of forgiveness. And Jesus picks this gigantic number to say, if you're counting, then you're not getting it. <laughs> 70 times 7, 77 times, if the person repents, if they agree that it's wrong and they turn from it, then you keep forgiving them. But again, what is forgiveness? It's releasing someone from the debt, the claim uh, that you have over them. You release them to God. So you relinquish your rights of retribution, of payback. Now, God is our fount of supernatural forgiveness. Because what I'm saying now, it, it doesn't make sense. I get it. You're like, that's crazy. Like, that's, that's so radical. It only makes sense in the context of God's forgiveness for us. In other words, if we're counting the number of times we have to forgive someone, we don't get what God has done for us. Because God has forgiven us millions and millions of times. Even today, he will probably forgive us 70 times seven things. And when we understand that, that informs how then we forgive and how we treat other people. And that's why Jesus tells that parable. He tells that parable um, to emphasize the close connection between God's forgiveness of us and then how we forgive other people. Our forgiveness of others has to be informed by God's radical forgiveness of us. Because that's what it means to be a Christian. What it means to become a Christian is we, we understand that we've sinned against God. And not just once, countless times, we've sinned against God. And justice would require that God separate sin from his holy, sinless presence. That God would pour out punishment and wrath upon us because we have sinned against an infinitely uh, wonderful and holy God. But what does God do? What does he do about our sin against him? He forgives us, and he forgives us by taking on the justice himself in Christ. He absorbs the cost. He absorbs the debt on the cross. And that's really what I think this parable that Jesus tells illustrates. That Ian read, it was sort of the end of our scripture in Matthew 23 through 35. Let me retell that parable quickly. So this servant... Jesus tells the parable to really drive this point home about, again, our forgiveness of other people is influenced and, and informed by God's forgiveness of us. He tells about this servant who owes his master an incredible sum. I mean, in today's dollars, it's like millions upon millions of dollars. But the, and, and he begs the master, oh, master, oh, please forgive me because the master is going to say, all right, I'm recouping my debt. So I'm going to sell you off and all the stuff so that I can at least recoup a little bit of my debts. And this servant begs the master 
for more time. Just give me more time and I'll pay it back, which we know is impossible with this size debt. And the master doesn't just give him more time. He actually doesn't need more time because he actually just then cancels the whole debt. He forgives the whole debt, right? Verse 27 says, out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Now the listeners, they would be shocked at this grace, at, at this, this amount of forgiveness. But that's not the end of the parable, is it? No, then this servant who was just forgiven millions upon millions of dollars goes to a fellow servant who owes him money. And it's a decent sum, okay, in, in sort of a modern um, cash value or whatever. It would probably be around $15,000, okay? That's a decent sum. But still, nothing compared to the tens of millions of dollars that he owned his master. And instead of passing on the forgiveness, instead of having been freed from the burden of sin and the punishment that was awaiting him, that he felt so free that he passes on that forgiveness to this other person, what does he do? He chokes him and says, you need to pay me back. And when the servant and actually uses almost the exact same words as the other servant says, oh, forgive me, give me more time, I'll pay it all back, have mercy. Instead of having mercy, instead of showing forgiveness, what does he do? He throws him in jail so that he can recoup some of his losses. And the moral of the parable is in verse 35. Jesus says, you know, forgive others. Forgive your brother from your heart. Again, 70 times seven. Why would you limit your forgiveness when God has already showed you limitless and unmatched forgiveness? When he's paid for millions and millions of sins, millions of times when we have gone against God's will. You see, I think sometimes the crisis of forgiveness in Christianity is because we... We like the idea of God forgiving us, but we don't understand the magnitude of that forgiveness. That's why, as I said last week, it's so important that sin is a huge deal. It's a big deal. It separates us from God. And when we understand the, 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 the punishment and the debt we owe to God, when he just says, no, you're free, I release your debt, I take on your debt on the cross, it should cause us to be so overwhelmed with joy and freedom and relief and release that if we truly get it, then when someone sins against us, we say, oh, yes, I, I can forgive you because of how God has forgiven me. Now, I want to treat this little section here, verses 18 through 20, because you might be saying, Pastor Joe, did you forget that part or did you cut that out for time? But it's so quoted out of context that, you know that I don't like that, that I want to, <laughs> I want to look at it a little bit. Because as we talk about forgiveness, ultimately, and, and when people do us wrong, and especially in the context of the church body, ultimately it's not about you being right or me being right. It's about being in line with God's will and reflecting him in our relationships. So this section that connects dealing with sin and forgiveness, it's not just about two people. It's about, again, living in accord with God's will. So verse 18, Jesus sticks this in uh, 
you know, right in between our main passages here. He says, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. We quote that, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm among them. But what's the context? Well, it's about forgiveness. It's about being right with God and one another. And so again, this whole idea, it's not about me being right or you being right. It's about being in line with God's will, reflecting him in our relationships. It definitely doesn't mean, hey, I agree and you agree that we should have a new house, so God's got to do it. Hey, in his name, I just say Jesus' name, voila. No, it's, in other words, we help one another discern God's will, right? Including if there's a sin, if I've sinned against you, then sometimes I bring a couple people to help us work through this because where two or three are gathered in his name, he's in our midst and we try to discern what has God done? What is his will in heaven? And when I see what he has done in heaven, then I want that to be done on earth. So we come and come into agreement because we're trying to reflect God's will. We're trying to reflect what he's already done. We bind on earth what's been bound in heaven because it's God's will for us to be free from sin. It's God's will for us to be at peace with one another. It's God's will for us to be in agreement with God and one another and walk together in his kingdom. And when we do that together, when we actually help and love one another, then yes, sometimes there's confrontation. Sometimes there's... A real talk, as they say, but the, the goal is I want to be in line with God's will. I want you to be in line with God's will because that's what it means to love God and love people. So that's how that section goes along with it. And while this, the context of this passage is about the church family, it really, it, the principles apply to all of our relationships. Because I know some of you might be going, listen, yeah, I, I can work through this with my brothers and sisters in Christ because they believe in Jesus. They believe in all this forgiveness. But what about people who don't believe all of that? Well, I'm responsible for me, right? And we can't control other people. But as far as my part I need to forgive. I want to make sure I am in line with God's will. Even if this other person is, I'm responsible for me. They're responsible for them. And so as much as I can, I want to make sure my heart is right with God and this person. Even if they don't agree, even if they don't ever recognize, no, we are responsible for us. The other thing I want to make sure that I point out is that some of you have been hurt very, very deeply and repeatedly. And, and this kind of radical forgiveness, it's, it's hard. And so you think, well, wait a minute. Does that mean if I forgive someone that I just let them walk over me again and again? You don't understand. They keep hurting me and hurting me. Well, no, forgiveness is given, but trust is earned. So those are different things. So forgiving someone is releasing them from the debt that they owe you. It doesn't mean forgetting about it. It doesn't mean if someone, like, for instance, steals from you. Yes, you can forgive them. Like, okay, they stole from me and they bought drugs with that. Um, you can say, all right, they don't have to pay me back. But that doesn't mean you have to let them in your house anymore. You see, if someone, you can still set boundaries. And in fact, if somebody truly repents, because 
Again, I've been around long enough that some people, when they know you're a Christian, they will try to use the idea of forgiveness to actually manipulate you and say, well, if you've forgiven me, then you should let me do the same things I always do. That's, not, that's different, right? There's still boundaries. And in fact, if someone truly repents, then they'll welcome boundaries because they recognize, oh, I've hurt you. And yes, I'm so glad you forgave me. But when you say, oh, yeah, but all right, I'm not going to let you in my house again until we build up this trust. They, if they truly repented, they should understand those boundaries and actually be okay with them. Because boundaries, again, are helpful to relationships, Again, you can forgive somebody but set boundaries so that the relationship will actually continue in the bond of peace. I've had friends, very loving friends who, you know, uh, let someone stay in their house and because they didn't have a home and stuff, and that's a wonderful thing, and we should always seek to do these kinds of things. But then, you know, that person just totally trashed the place and totally used them and actually abused them and and. You can forgive them and say, all right, I, I forgive all that past debt. But you know what? When you use me, that is dysfunctional. It's not healthy for me. It's not healthy for you. It's not right with God. And so, yeah, I'll, I'll help you find your place because I've, I've, I've forgiven you, so you don't have to be back. I'll, and I, but I love you, so I'll help you find your place. But you're not going to stay at mine. That's the boundary. See, boundaries are like guardrails. They direct things towards a healthy reconnection and a bond of peace. So forgiveness and boundaries, they often go together, actually, in reconciliation. When you're truly reconciled, you're in agreement, including what's right, what's not right, including the boundaries, what we can do, what we can't, when we walk together. So choose to forgive. Choose to forgive. That means, yeah, there's no payback for past wrong or hurt, but trust for the future? Well, that's a separate choice. That's a separate sermon, <laughs> right? And I, I say all that not to let us off the hook, but to make sure that we're truly forgiving and not un and understanding the difference between forgiveness and, and uh, enabling and all of this stuff. But what this parable, what this passage says is that when people do us wrong, we first and foremost, we choose to forgive because God forgave us. And we are also not just seeking to smooth things over. We're actually seeking to be right with the other person and right with God. Which again, involves boundaries and right living. But I first and foremost want to ask those who are here, those who are online, I mean, if you haven't received God's forgiveness in Christ, then this doesn't really make sense. It's not going to work. You're going to have not. You you need that that forgiveness from God if you're ever even going to try to do this. So, do you understand how much God has forgiven you? I mean, just take a day and say, you know what? I want to like take put a mark every time I do something that I think is against God's will. I mean, let me tell you, you're going to need a, th a, th a three-ring binder. <laughs> you and I are that servant who owes the master millions upon millions of dollars that we could never repay. That's us. 
And maybe even now you are here and you feel the weight of that. You know you've done others wrong. You know you haven't followed God's will. And that, that crushing sense of shame and guilt. And instead of just that making you harder, making you think that that's how the world works, Go to God. See, maybe now for the first time how God says, no, no, you don't get it. I forgive you. All of that, all of that I removed. I've nailed it on the cross. I've already paid for it. You don't need to pay for it again. You just need to come to me and say, yes, Lord, I repent and I receive your gift of forgiveness. And he says, it's gone. I forgive you. And that weight of all of the things that you've done, he releases and flings it as far as the east is from the west. And if you've never done that, do that today. Receive his forgiveness. Walk in that freedom. And then, then, with a lightness in your step, with an understanding of who God is and his love, then you can forgive others. Then when someone sins against you, you see it in proper perspective. You can say, man, that person hurt me. He actually owes me $15,000. But that's still nothing compared to the millions and millions of dollars and the millions and millions of debts, excuse me, you know, that God has forgiven me. So we're able to release that. And we reflect God in our relationships. And so as I've been talking, perhaps the Lord has laid someone on your heart, someone who has sinned against you. The, the, the answer is not to be like, oh, it's not that big of a deal, whatever. No, the answer is to simply receive God's forgiveness and say, I'm going to release that person from the debt I owe, from the debt they owe to me, excuse me. It's not excusing their behavior. It's actually recognizing that is truly wrong, that they should have done this. They should have treated me better. All of that is true. And yet I release them from what they owe me because God has released me from what I owe him. And we walk in that forgiveness. Perhaps that's what you need to do. Perhaps, yes, receive God's forgiveness, but there's someone you know you need to forgive. And maybe, maybe there's somebody, that same person you've been talking about instead of two. Well, that was the time to repent and say, all right, I'm not going to talk about this person anymore. I'm going to talk to them. I am going to reconcile this relationship. And as far as I can do, I'm responsible for me. I want to be in line with God's will and forgive. And I want to reconcile with this person. And no matter what they do or don't do, yeah, I want to be right with God. I want to do my part. And that also means you taking the initiative. If you're a Christian, Jesus took the initiative, came to the cross, died for your sins before you even asked. As Christians, we take the initiative, try to reconcile with that person. And we do it all because of God's amazing forgiveness for us. My friends, I'm, this isn't easy. It's not. I'm not saying this stuff thinking, oh, yeah, so just do that. Check mark. I, I understand it's easy, especially for people who have, have hurt you bad. And maybe you have forgiven him. You've chosen to forgive. But even right now, you are filled with anger. Listen, 
Your anger and the forgiveness are two different things. And so when you start to feel that anger or that disappointment because the person maybe did the same thing again, you can now go to God and say, God, I chose to forgive that person. And I stand in that choice because of your choice of forgiveness for me. Again, sometimes it is a lifetime of your feelings catching up with your choices of forgiveness. But do your, our part is to choose that forgiveness. And again, it's, that doesn't mean you're saying that what that person did was okay. No, in fact, when you forgive someone, truly you're saying, no, I recognize that as wrong, but I'm choosing to release the debt they owe me. In fact, I'm releasing them to God. He is the judge. And again, sometimes this is a lifelong process. And sometimes things that you have an easy time forgiving, other people don't, and vice versa. Some, there's some things where you're like, I, this is not a big deal. I should be able to forgive. Well, whatever you should or shouldn't do, like, that's just you. That's just what you're dealing with. It's the same. And that is lift this person up to God. Choose to release them from what they owe you and give them to God, even if it's every day. For some of us, every single day, you'll have to be, oh, I choose to forgive. No, today I choose to forgive. I've forgiven that person. I want to take back. I want to punish them today because they're doing the same thing. But no, I've released that. I've released that to God. Let's pray. Dear God, I know there are so many folks in here and struggling with forgiveness. So first of all, God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see your wonderful forgiveness that you've given us so that that would inform how we deal with others. So Lord, that you'll be bringing people to our minds right now. And I pray that each one of us would make that choice of forgiveness, would make that choice to walk in freedom. And Lord, that we would treat others um, as we would want to be treated. We would treat others actually as you've treated us. So Lord, bring healing through this. Bring true reconciliation between people. Uh, but Lord, we can only do this through your amazing grace. Flood us now, fill us now with a realization of who you are and the grace that you've given. And Lord, for, for those who are struggling and, and figuring out forgiveness right now, uh, Holy Spirit, give us your forgiveness, your love, your perspective, your guidance, so that we can truly reflect you in how we deal with those who sin against us. And we thank you, God, for your amazing grace, your amazing forgiveness, so that we can walk in a freedom that we don't deserve. We can walk having our debts been cast aside. We're so grateful, Lord of your amazing grace, your abounding forgiveness. May that fill us to overflowing now as we sing this last song. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.